tested this mic like three times this morning, so hopefully it doesn't cut out <coughs> or just quit working like it did last week. <coughs> so we um, last week we we've we've been doing this series called Least, talking about humility, and we've been talking about the teachings that Jesus gave on humility, and how out of those teachings we see that we're supposed to be humble in different ways, whether it's we lead people humbly by focusing on our others instead of ourselves, whether it's we desire humble things rather than our greatness or our prizes, we desire the kingdom, or whether it's just simply realizing that there's nothing that we can do on our own, that everything that we accomplish especially for the kingdom, we accomplish through the power of God. So we have this humble realization that we're insignificant. All of these things that we've been talking about in this series have been based around Jesus' teachings. But today we're going to see another teaching. We're also going to see how that teaching was around something that Jesus did. It's, it's a humble action that Jesus did and then taught out of. And it's, I think it's one of, one of the most powerful pieces of scripture. You know, obviously you have the crucifixion and the resurrection, but this morning we're, we're looking at a time when Jesus got on his hands and knees for people that were so far beneath him. And it's a really powerful piece of scripture, and so I'm excited to do that this morning to take a look at it. Um, before we do, let's, let's open up with a, with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father God, this morning as we open your word, as we remember your humility so we remember your humble service towards us and realize that we are supposed to have that sort of mindset as well and be open to your humble service. God, I pray that you work within us. You work within our hearts. You work within our minds. And you make our hands itchy to go out and, and serve your kingdom. God, I just pray that your word opens up to us, that it penetrates us and it moves within us. God, speak through your word this morning. Speak through me as we grow closer to you through what you have already taught and what you continue to teach through it. I thank you for your love, for bringing everyone here this morning as we come to worship you and draw near to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. <coughs> now, obviously, Isabel and I aren't parents yet, and I say obviously because you all know us so well, so if we had a secret child, that would be really weird, but just in case you were wondering, we don't. We, we aren't parents. Um, bearing that in mind, we've never had to clean up, well, I haven't had to clean up a child's vomit or change a diaper before. I think I've maybe changed one diaper in my entire life. Isabel has done that because that's what she does for a living, so um, that's, it's a little different being a preschool teacher. But I, I've never had to really have that gross encounter where you're um, cleaning up after someone that you really don't <laughs> want to be cleaning up, um, but you're doing it for someone else. I haven't had that in the, in the sense of cleaning up after my child or, or you know, changing a diaper, cleaning up, spit up or anything like that. But I know many of you have. And, and it, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day, about gross things that we're willing to do. And, and a lot of times we're not willing to do really gross things for ourselves. Like, if it, we don't necessarily want to go out of our way to do something really gross for ourselves because we're like, well, I can just deal with it. But when you're a parent, you're willing to do something gross for the sake of your child. You're willing to do something gross for, for someone 
you care about. And so even though I've not been a father, and I've not changed a diaper, cleaned up, spit up yet, I have done some something, you know, there are some things that come to mind that I've done for others. Um, most notably when I was in college, my friends and I decided to stay in a dorm my junior year where it was a community bathroom. Um, so the advantage was you got a room to yourself. The disadvantage was you had to share a bathroom with everyone. It was a smaller dorm, though, so it wasn't like you had a bunch of people in that, in that one hall. And it was, it was me, um, my friend Micah, who's the minister at, at Jamestown, the youth minister, and, and another friend of ours, Chase. And we all had these, this group of three rooms that were right there next to each other, and we just hung out all the time. And the only time we weren't together in there was when we were sleeping. And one night, we decided that we had this other friend named Andrew that we were, we were just going to all hang out and, and watch some movies. And we had baseball practice the next morning, so we were just going to do that and then wake up in the morning and go practice. And so we, we did that. We were going to bed, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, Andrew is just sick as a dog. And he's in the bathroom, and I didn't realize where he was, so I went in the bathroom, and he is just, it was the worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. You know, this is a little tiny bathroom. It's poorly ventilated. This building is from, like, the 60s. So it's just not a very sanitary bathroom to begin with. And you walk in, and it just, it's like you get hit by a brick wall. Um, and, And I remember walking in there, and Andrew... There was, he could not have cleaned up after himself. And I, I just remember knowing that he couldn't do it and doing it myself because Mike and Chase came to try to help, and they couldn't handle the smell. They, started, they were about to throw up themselves. They were gagging over, and, and so they had to leave, and I just kind of bared through it. And I remember thinking, why am I doing this for him? Why am I cleaning up after him? This is nasty. And, and I did it, and, and Andrew... Woke, woke up the next morning, and, and he just was thankful to have someone look after him. But I never, <laughs> I never stepped foot in that bathroom again the rest of the year because it was just burning in my nostrils. But it's amazing some of the things that we'll do, some of the gross things we'll do for someone that we, we care about, someone that we, we're friends with, someone we're close with, the extents to which we'll go in order to show compassion and care. And as, as a parent, I'm sure you can think of plenty of things. Uh, that you've done for your child because you love them, because you want them to to be healthy. And, and it doesn't matter, you know, if it's gross to you because you want to be there to help them out. But but the truth is there are a lot of things that we would rather not steep down to the level of doing. I really did not want to sit there on my Friday night cleaning up someone else's vomit whenever I should have been getting ready for bed to get to practice the next morning. But there's things that we do for people that we care about. And what we're going to look at today is one of the grossest things that Jesus has ever done for the twelve for his twelve closest friends. And and the lengths to which the, the humble lengths he was willing to go in order to serve them. And, and out of this we need to ask our, ourselves, why would Jesus stoop so low? Why would God incarnate stoop so low for his 12 disciples? Why would he do this? And then what are we supposed to do with what he's done for them and what he in turn does for us? And, and this, we're going to be looking at John chapter 13. So if you're not already there, turn to John chapter 13. And this narrative takes place right before the Lord's Supper. So 
we gather together every Sunday morning to remember the Lord's Supper, essentially, to remember that Jesus poured out his blood, he poured out his spirit, and he did that through giving his body up, through, through being beaten, through being crucified, through enduring death. Everything Jesus did was so his spirit would pour out for us. And that is remembered through the installment of the Lord's Supper. Jesus met with his disciples on Passover, which would have been this Thursday, if, if we we're in that time period, and, and he did all, this, all these things. But before he instilled the Lord's Supper, before he explained to them what he was going to do, he gave them another teaching moment. He gave them what I almost think of as being an even more powerful example of his love than, than even the Lord's Supper. Um, so we're going to look at, at chapter 13. We're going to read through verses 1 through 11 real quick, and then we're going to, to kind of split it up. But I'm just going to read the whole section. It says, Before the Passover fast festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it came, now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, he laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured out water into a basin and began to wash, wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward you'll understand. You'll never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my, and my head as well. One, only, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay, so there's 11 verses of a narrative there. And it's an action that Jesus is taking. He's washing his disciples' feet. But there are, uh, there's a lot to unpack. And the first thing I want us to look at is, is what happens in verses 2 and 3. And, and it's almost mentioned almost as an afterthought. It says, when it came time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. What this is saying here, it, it's, it's not an afterthought. It's an emphatic point. Jesus knew that the time was coming, and he knew that Judas had already decided to betray him. He knew that one of his 12 closest friends, one of these people who he had shared meals with, who he had laughed with, who, who he had journeyed with for three years, was about to give him over to die. And Judas knew what was going to happen. He, he wasn't just doing this haphazardly. He wasn't just giving Jesus over and then crossing his fingers and hoping for the best. He knew what was going to happen when he handed Jesus over. And Jesus knew that Judas had already decided to do that. Now, that's a very significant point, and it's not something that we should look at as just an afterthought of the, of the author saying, well, this has already taken place, and then Jesus teaches this. The author is saying, Jesus knew Judas had already decided to betray him. Jesus knew that this beloved person, this, this person that he was extremely close with, was going to sentence him to death, essentially. And yet, what did Jesus do in verse 5? 
For, for, for he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and wiped it around himself, and then poured water into a basin and began to wash his feet, their feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. He didn't make an exception for Judas. It's, it's, the, the text isn't saying that Jesus knew Judas was about to sentence him to die, so he washed 11 of the disciples' feet and not Judas's. It says he knew Judas was about to betray him, and yet he washed his feet anyway. Now think of this in terms of our context. How often have you made this statement of, well, you know, I would help that person, but they just don't have any gratitude when I do it. Or, you know, I, I would give that person money, but they're just going to use it on something worthless. Or, you know, I, I really want to love and care for that person, but they just don't care about it. Now imagine if instead of what the text says here, it said Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, so he said, go find someone else to wash your feet. That's not what the text says. The text says Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, so he put a towel around his waist and began washing all the disciples' feet. There's a huge difference there. Jesus' humility wasn't conditional. Jesus knew that Judas was never going to love him after this, that Judas was going to betray him, that Judas was going to sentence him to die, that Judas was going to go behind his back. But he served him as well. And he does that for us. He does that for all of humanity. He knows that not everyone is going to accept his sacrifice, that not everyone is going to see what he's done for them. But he serves us all anyway. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but he still served him. And that should be a reminder to us that, as we're seeing here at the end, we're called to exemplify this sort of action. We're supposed to realize that Jesus died for us knowing that not everyone was going to accept his death, but he also says we are to serve those who might not even have any gratitude that we're serving them. That's what humility is. That's what humble service is. It is the willingness to serve someone without any expectation of getting anything back and with the full awareness that they might not even care. That's what Jesus did and showed up through Judas. But there's also, there's more to this story. That, that kind of sets up the power of what's going on, that Jesus is about to do something really special if he's willing to, to serve without expecting anything in return. And so he, it, it, it says he takes this towel, it wipes, wipes, uh, wraps it around him, and then in, in verse 5 it says, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a the towel tied around them. He came to Simon who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will, never you, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Okay, that's a, a really important statement by Peter. Because what it shows us is the context behind the way someone viewed a servant who washed your feet. This, this was a common practice. You can almost think of this as a shoe shiner during the Great Depression, someone that made absolutely nothing hardly, shining people's shoes, and they were basically just look completely down upon. And that's what Jesus is about to do 
for his disciples. He's coming, he's washing their disgusting, gross feet. This wasn't like shining shoes either. I mean, it's an adequate metaphor, but this is nasty. The way I think of this, in order to help me grasp the magnitude of how gross this is for Jesus and how this humiliating this would have been for Jesus, I think of my brother's feet. Um, <laughs> and I already asked him for permission to say this, so don't worry. I'm not throwing my brother under the bus here. But my brother and I, we, we played baseball <coughs> growing up, and we'd play in summer tournaments where it was like 100 degrees. Uh, we played this one tournament in Pittsburgh that was 105 degrees, and there was blacktop everywhere. It was the most miserable weekend of my life. Well, it was fun because we won the tournament, but it was just so unbearably hot. And I remember we got home, and we got home real late that night, and even more disgusting was that <laughs> my brother didn't shower that night, and he got into bed, and he took his socks off, and I could not stand the smell. And my eyes were watering. It was, you couldn't put enough body spray on his feet. You couldn't, we tried putting deodorant on his feet. I'm not kidding. Nothing worked because his feet smelled so bad, and it was just disgusting. And when I think of this text here, I picture Jesus not just washing feet, but washing my brother's feet. I, I wouldn't even go close to his feet, and yet Jesus is here with his face right next to him. And, and the feet of his disciples would have been even beyond my brothers, because all they did was walk. They wore leather shoes that weren't breathable, they just sweated all over them. They walked on rough terrain, they were in the hot sun, so their feet were cracked and blistered and bleeding, and, and they were filled with dirt, caked in dirt. This was disgusting. And yet here is the God of the universe getting down on his hands and knees and humiliating himself, humiliating himself for the sake of his disciples. And this is supposed to exemplify what he's about to do. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but eventually, afterward, you understand. Jesus is saying, Peter, you know, P Peter looks at Jesus and says, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. You're, you're way above me. You're the king of the universe. You're, you, you are God incarnate. You're not washing my feet. And then Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand that I'm about to give you eternity but you have to let me humiliate myself in order for you to be exalted. And so Jesus gets down and he washes every single foot of all of his disciples. No matter how dirty, no matter how bloody, no matter how smelly those feet were, he humiliated himself. Now this wasn't, a servant who washed the feet was looked down upon. They, they were kind of the lowest of the servants because no one wanted this task. And yet Jesus did this for his disciples. He humiliated himself so that they would look back on this after he died and realize, and as humiliating as him washing our feet was, his death was even more humiliating. Because here would be the God of the universe, the God who is infinite, eternal, immortal, and he took on sin, and died. That's humiliating. 
That's a slap in the face. That's the devil, that's Satan looking at Jesus and laughing directly in his face, saying, oh yeah, you're supposed to be immortal and eternal, but you're dead. That's humiliating. And we might not understand that because we're limited in our ability to understand. But so, and before he does that, he goes to Peter and he says, I'm going to wash your disgusting, awful feet. If you think this is humiliating, wait until what I'm about to do. Jesus humiliated himself for our sake. That's the first lesson that we learn here with his interaction with Peter. But there's an even more important one that we we get as well. Look at Peter's reaction initially. It says, he came to Simon Peter who, who asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand you'll never wash my feet. Here Jesus is willing to give Peter this incredible gift. You know, someone to wash your feet, that was an expensive servant. You you had to be a wealthy person to pay someone constantly to wash your feet. This wasn't just an everyday thing where you walked in somewhere and there was automatically someone there to, to wash your feet. Jesus was giving his disciples a gift. And Peter's immediate reaction was, you're not doing that. And partially that was Peter's way of trying to protect Jesus' integrity, saying, you're a God of the universe, you're not washing my feet. But the other thing was that Peter was indignant about it. I, I don't want you near my grossness, Jesus. I, I, I don't want you even close to my filth. I, I don't want your face down on my cracked and bloody feet. That's, that's humiliating. I, I can't accept this, Jesus. I, I, I can't Take this. But then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Peter, this is a free gift. This is, this is something that I am offering you. I am offering to humiliate myself for your sake, and if you don't let me humiliate myself, if you don't accept what I'm doing, you can't be with me. It's not just a gift. It's a requirement for you to understand me, for you to be in my presence. And then Peter realized he couldn't wash his own feet, metaphorically. He couldn't clean himself adequately enough. He needed what Jesus was providing because he couldn't do it himself. In this last year, we can all, I'm sure, think of some difficult times that have gone, that have happened. You know, there's been... There's a lot of people that weren't able to work. There's a lot of people that had this virus. There's a lot of people that just really struggled. Um, and I, I'd say in some way or another, we've all, we can all admit that we were one of those. Isabella and I, it seemed like we got hit one week after another week with one big thing after another thing. We wrecked our car back in the summer. We, um, we, we've, had, we've been trying to help some people. We had this foundation issue for our house, and it's just we were constantly just basically liquidating our savings account. And finally, we got to this point where it seemed like the dust was settling, and we're thinking, okay, finally, we're done. We're out of this. We can breathe again. We can build back up. And then my mower blew up, and the engine just shattered on it. Literally, it broke in half. It was crazy. And, and we were just kind of lost. What are we going to do? Where are we going to be able to fix it? How are we going to get... Take, get this taken care of, and then all of a sudden, I got this call from someone that said, hey, we, we heard your mower blew up. We heard that you're in need of some help, and we just want to give you one. And 
one of the hardest things to do is accepting something that you know you need but don't want to accept. Because all I could think of was, I don't deserve this. Um, I, what, what am I going to have to pay back? How, how am I going to earn this? What, what do I need to do to, to make sure that they, they know I'm a... Pr-? And, and all these thoughts run through your mind, and all they're saying is, this is a free gift. But it's so difficult for us to say, thank you. I couldn't do this on my own. And we don't want to accept it. That's what's going through Peter's mind right here. Jesus is saying, I'm here to wash your feet clean because you can't do it on your own. And Peter's saying, but I want to try to do it on my own. I I don't deserve you washing my feet. You're the God of the universe. Why why should you be washing my feet? And Jesus is saying, because you can't. So I'm humiliating myself for your sake. And Peter struggled to accept that. And we're all the same. How often... You know, we, we may have decided to follow Jesus. We may have given our lives to, to him and, and been baptized, but how often then afterwards when we mess up are we saying, I'm not going to tell you that. No, I'll uh, keep that hidden, Jesus. I, I, I don't want you to see that dirt. You know, I made a mistake there, but we, we can just you know, throw that in the bin. We'll ignore that. And we're unwilling to say, here, God, this is my filth. You... You said that only you can handle it, so here it is. I don't know why you would take it, but take it. It's so difficult for us to be open and willing to accept the gift that he has given. It's an unfathomable gift. It doesn't make sense why he would offer the God of the universe to clean our feet, to clean our filth, to take on our sin, to die the death that we deserved, and yet he does it And it's so difficult for us at times to accept it. But Jesus tells Peter, if I don't wash you, you can't be with me. And so Peter says, Lord, not only my feet then, but my hands and my head. And Jesus says, I just need to wash your feet. Just let me wash your feet. And and this passage here is supposed to show us a couple of things. Firstly, it's supposed to show us how willing Jesus was to humiliate himself for our sake. And Jesus took on the rule of a servant. He washed disgusting feet for our sake. And he didn't just do that, as we saw at the beginning, he didn't just do that for the people who he knew were, were going to follow him. He didn't just do that for the 11 disciples who would be the, the, the foundation of the church. He did that for Judas. He did that for those who he knew wouldn't even appreciate what he has done. But then we also see that we have to, Jesus did all of this in humility, we have to be willing to release our pride and humbly come to him and say, I can't do this, God. I can't clean myself, Jesus. I need you to do it for me. And sometimes that is the hardest thing we can do. But out of that sort of humility, out of that acceptance, out of that release of our pride and saying, I can't clean myself, God, I need you to do it, then we're supposed to accept his service and out of that go on and serve others. Listen to how he concludes all of this in in verses 12 through 17. 
It says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if, you, if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. I know these things. You are blessed if you do them. So here's, here's what Jesus is saying. I gave you an example here. This is what it means to humbly serve people. It means that there's going to be people that don't appreciate what you do at all. I'm dying for the sake of the entire world, and there's going to be millions of people who don't even appreciate it, but I'm doing it anyway. And I'm willing to humiliate myself in an unfathomable way. I'm willing to get down in the filth and dirt, even though I'm the one that created the filth, even though I'm the one that created the dirt, I'm willing to get down into it and clean it off of you. And then he says, unless you let me do it, unless you release your pride and humbly accept what I'm doing, you can't be clean. And he says all those things, and then he clarifies that by saying, now you're to go do these things. And so it, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't said, you know, I can't do this on my own, I'm going to accept this gift, I'm going to release my pride and accept this gift, if you haven't done that, then it's time that you do it. But once you do, that's where verses 12 through 17 come in, and we say, Christ, you served me in a humiliating and humble way, even though you didn't know if I was going to accept it. Now it's my turn. Now I'm going to go out to the world. I'm going to serve the world. I'm going to humiliate myself for the sake of your name. And as I do that, I'm going to remember everything you've done for me. That's the power of this passage here. And I think sometimes we just gloss over it because of what's about to happen, but Jesus says this, he tells Peter, this act is what's going to help you understand the fullness of the cross. When you see that I'm willing to humiliate myself in this way, you'll realize the humiliation I was willing to endure for your eternity. You know, the church is, was never meant to be a glamorous organization. We were never meant to vie for power between Rome, and the, the church was never meant to be this pillar of the empire. We were meant to be people that got in the dirt. We were meant to be people that were willing to humiliate ourselves. And we were meant to do that as we remembered the way that Jesus humiliated himself for us. And so I urge everyone, firstly, release your pride, humble yourself, and realize that Jesus gave everything. We just have to accept that. And then out of that acceptance, let us be a church that goes out and without regard for whatever we want, serves others for the sake of his kingdom.
That's what Jesus is calling us to here. That's what he does as he rides in on Palm Sunday on a donkey. He doesn't glorify himself. He's humbling himself for our sake. That's what Palm Sunday is about. And next Sunday, we'll be seeing how the humble Lion of Judah roared mightily as he conquered death. And so I I encourage you this week to prepare yourselves to push away your pride, to sit down and say, I'm humbly accepting your free gift, and God, I'm going to go out and humiliate myself in service of you. So that next week, as we join together for Easter and remembering his death and resurrection, we realize the humility it took for him to go through that and the exaltation and the victory that came out of it. Let's close this message in a word of prayer. Father God, your love knows no bounds. It is unfathomable. And yet we see it expressed through the humiliation you endured for us. Through the way that you served your disciples. God, I pray that we exemplify that sort of service. That we are willing to take that gift that you have provided. God, work in our lives. Use us and humiliating ways for the betterment of your kingdom so that your kingdom is proclaimed. I thank you for the love that you have given us and for the humiliating way that you endured so that love can be imparted upon us. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.